Well, good morning again. I want to lead us in a time of prayer, and then we're going to, you know, lead you in that of the Lord's Prayer at the end of this prayer. So if you at home um, tuning in, you may want to just, you know, just pause and pray that Lord's Prayer with me at the conclusion of, of our morning time of prayer. And again, uh, it's a way to uplift your spirit and put your, your mind and heart uh, pointed heavenward, uh, cutting off the distractions of your mind and heart and focusing upon the Lord. So let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you that you allow us this morning to be able to worship together and realize that, that in spirit and in truth, your presence is seen, experienced, and felt, knowing that as we become still, we know that you're God, realizing that you have our life in your hands, and we look to you and we, we ask, first of all, Father, that, that all that the world is going through, that, that this plague and this disease that has affected the entire world, that, Father, that you would just, you just rain down upon this earth and you would put an end to this pandemic, that you would bring a health and safety and fortify and protect. But, Father, I also know that as if, if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face, that we'll hear from heaven. We'll have a healing of our land. And, Father, if that's what it takes, then I pray that, that the world will come to their knees and they will reach their hearts and hands heavenward and they will cry out to Abba, Father. Because we know that when we look into the face of Jesus, we see something very beautiful. And, the, and darkness is overtaken by light as Jesus is the light of the world. Give us that hope, give us that joy, and give us that expectation of what you are doing and what you will do in the future. I pray for our membership. I pray for those that have been succumbed to some of this COVID-19, that they're home recovering, that each and every one's health will return. Any of those that are in the hospital, we ask that you would touch them and bring healing into their life as they breathe and they take in the oxygen that's needed, that they get their bodies back to the restoration of health. We just pray that each and every one will understand your presence this morning, will understand the joy of our salvation, will understand the joy of our names being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We thank you for all that you've provided. We thank you for the life of Christ. We thank you for his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, and yet the return one day to the face of this earth, the rapture of the church. We look to you with great expectation and with the anticipation of hearing the trumpet that will be sound. And it's in, uh, into your hands and into your, your face we look into that this morning. And we're thankful that Jesus has taught us so many different things throughout his life. It's written in the Holy Scripture. And yet one of those most uh, encouraging and uplifting prayers that we could ever pray unified together as a church body or as a church people universally all over the world is the prayer that Jesus has taught us to pray and that of the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen.
Well, isn't it good to know that, that we're in the potter's hands, that God is molding us and making us into the people that he desires us to be, that he's creating within us a temple that receives his Holy Spirit, that receives uh, his, his love and his grace. And even though sometimes the, the vessel we are becomes broken and cracked, it's good to know that God, with his grace and his mercy, uh, can touch that vessel and even though we may on the outside always, always have a wound or always have a crack, it's healed because God can do amazing things. So I'm thankful that God is, is our potter and we are the clay being formed from the time we are birthed into this world and to the time that we're face to face with our Father in heaven. Well, today I want to bring a message that's entitled God's Best Gift. Now, it's not a Christmas message that I so often refer to that Christ is the best gift to all the world, even though that is always the best gift and is a derivative of this message. But I want us to think of it in another sense, the best gift that God gives to each of us. There are many gifts throughout life that are very important, and we consider them as great and wonderful gifts. Sometimes we may call it, man, that's the best gift that I could ever have today. But I want us to think about the ultimate best gift that God gives to each of His children, including you and I, whether we're in Surfside Beach or whether uh, we're in Maryland or whether we're in Maine, whether we're in Colorado or West Virginia, whether we're in Georgia, Florida, whether we're in Kentucky or Tennessee. Uh, you know, those God, God gives each of us a wonderful gift, a gift that causes us to rejoice to rejoice in Him on an everyday basis, that when we go down at night and we go to sleep and when we arise the next morning, that same joy and same rejoicing is there. There's a passage in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20, not a very long passage, and it's probably not one you've, you, you've memorized in your mind uh, just because of, of the situation that it's in, and it's probably one that you don't study much at all as well. But it's right there in Scripture, and it's words that Jesus says back to His disciples that are very important. And so I begin reading in verse 17 of Luke chapter 10. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in Your name. And He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you, harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice, listen to this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, when you look at the context of this passage of Scripture, it kind of takes you back and you think, well, what, what truth is there that applies to my life and what does it mean for me today? And just as the disciples were all about ministry, and just as the disciples were all about um, doing the work that Christ had commissioned and emboldened them and empowered them to do, they went out and they marveled over the fact that the same power that they saw that was in Christ was the same power that was within them. They had the authority to cast out demons. They had the authority to tackle the enemy. They had the authority that was stronger than the power of Satan. They came back marveling and very, very excited 
over what God had implanted within and gave them the capability of doing. And they were happy. They were joyful. They were, they were walking. If, if it was any time that they could walk on water, they were ready to walk on water. They understood the power of God working through their lives. But Jesus kind of busted their bubble. He says, listen, I don't want you to be rejoicing in the ability or the power that you have. I want you to go back to the rejoicing of what will never die within you because what's more important is your name written in heaven. In other words, the Lamb's book of life. That's the rejoicing. So the best gifts, and I'm going to keep away the suspense, the best gift that God can give us is salvation. And that is what we rejoice in, not the service that we have, not the empowerment that we have, not the power that we can, we can uh, display. It is the fact that we rejoice in the salvation and the gift that God gives us. The best gift of all is the salvation. Our name's written in the Lamb's book of life. And so the good can detract us from the best. What happened to the 70 that was here in Scripture on their missionary excursion was good. And it was something that we, are, we do rejoice over. But there was something better. Jesus did not want their excitement about the good thing to, de- to detract them from the best thing in their life. Their experience obviously has been a surprise to them, as it would be with you and as it would be with me. In fact, there are times where we have collectively prayed and we've seen immediate response, and even though we, are, we anticipate and expect God to answer the prayer, it still takes us back a little bit in amazement, and we're excited because we saw God work through ourselves at that very moment. But yet we realize that that's not our joy that remains. Our joy is because of the relationship or the sonship, uh, the daughtership that we all have uh, with the Lord God. And yet they went around, the disciples, the 70, went around to all the villages. They ministered to the sick. They ministered to those who were demon-possessed. They healed the sick, and they cast out demons. And yet the authority of the enemy was subject to the power that was within the 70. And yet they were able to command in the name of the Lord, and they could command uh, whatever enemy that was before them, and it caused them great excitement when they saw what was happening through their voices, through their hands, through their ministry, through their goings and through their comings back and forth. They had never imagined that they could be in, involved in such of a display of, of spiritual power, the same power they saw in Christ. And this excitement prompted the response from the Lord when he said, notwithstanding this, rejoice, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. God's best gift is enrollment of our names in heaven as the citizens of the kingdom of God, not giving to us power over evil spirits, but giving us the heart that will be steadfast, focused, and bent on understanding this great gift of salvation that breathes life spiritually from the moment we cry out, I am a sinner, please save me from the sin of my life. So that's God's best gift to us. And I want to tell you a little bit about, first of all, what that gift is not. And so with that understanding, his, bit, his best gift is not 
spiritual power for service. Now, understanding this, you've got to keep in mind, even though it's not the best gift, we realize it is a gift. It is a gift to be empowered for service. So the power for service is a gift. The disciples knew that the power they had experienced in service was a gift that had come from God and they had no way to manufacture that power in their own life. They had never experienced such power before any confrontation with the enemy until this time in their life. And Jesus affirms this to them. He says, Behold, I give you power to tread upon the serpents and the scorpions, which is another word for the enemy, and, and give you power over, over the enemy, and nothing shall be any means, nothing shall in any means harm you. So serpents and scorpions use the symbols of demonic power. And Jesus assured them that this special protection in this confrontation was a beautiful promise, but it was not the best gift that he could have given them. It was a wonderful gift. It was an exciting gift, but it was not the gift that, that kept them in a rejoiceful heart for the rest of their life. It was the gift of salvation that was more important. And second of all, in understanding that what this gift of spiritual power is not, it, it's, it's, it's not the best gift, but it's a gift of power. This power also, you've got to understand, is temporary. Because think of it this way. While we're on the face of the earth, we need power to understand and empowerment to understand how to make decisions in life and to go about doing the work of ministry. But that will come to an end because we don't need that spiritual power when we're sitting there at the banquet table and we're looking at the face of God because the power is all within the, in God and we relish and we focus upon that. Psalm 4610, uh, be still and know that I'm God. And I think that's, that's the understanding of the ultimate uh, uh, revelation of who God is in His presence when we realize that He is all-powerful and we are not. So even if this power were to abide upon our life undiminished throughout our lifetime, it would still be considered temporary. So no such power will be needed in life to come and there will be no demonic spirits in heaven so that we have to confront. The expression of this power through the life of the disciples is conditional, it is temporary, and in contrast to God's best gift, this must be seen as temporary favor while we're on the face of this earth. Third of all, in understanding this, this best gift, that it's not a spiritual power, that we realize first and we, we hold on to the fact we know it is a gift, but it's not the best gift. We know that this power is temporary, but we also know that this power may be experienced by the unsaved. Now listen to this. Now understand this. Here we move out of the realm of mystery. If we accept the words of our Lord as authoritative, as the scriptures are, we must con conclude that what the disciples did on this trip has been done by unsaved people. The power is not in itself the sure sign of the sonship into the family of God. Now, what am I talking about? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of the Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not professed in thy name. In the name have cast out 
devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, because you are the work of iniquity. Now, we recognize that Jesus is talking about false prophets. So you understand that Satan empowers people for his work. Jesus empowers people for his work. And yet, Jesus' power is more authoritative and all-powerful. So there must surely be the reason that Jesus warns them not to, to work, not to focus upon the display of power that creates their Christian joy. This is not to be counted as God's best gift. Evidently, those who had never known the Lord can duplicate those very things experienced by the 70 in our preaching, our singing, our teaching, our ministry are not the basis of our joy. They do not make up God's best gift. The best gift is the gift of salvation. The best gift is knowing the assurance that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's written in heaven. I'm already in the hall of fame of heaven. You're already in the hall of fame of heaven if you want to look at it that way. So this power that God gives us is a great gift, but it is not the best gift. A fourth thing about what this spiritual power is not is that power can be a cause of pride. It can cause pride in people's lives. The early church father saw a warning about pride in the reference to the fall of Satan. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. He says that to the 70. So he's recognizing the fact that there is pride. There is a pride that, that Satan wanted to be more powerful or equal to God and was cast out of heaven. They understood that our Lord was referencing that historical moment in eternity past when Satan fell from his high and exalted proud, proudful position because he thought himself to be more powerful or equal to God. Could Jesus be given this same warning to the disciples or to the 70 about what could happen if they placed their pride in the power of their ministry over what they were able to even do beyond what they can imagine and dream. So many students feel that Jesus is affirming that the ministry of the seven has been a real part of continuing victory over the enemy, though their efforts in his power is not what we lash on to, to hold on to joy and to hold on to our celebration. And yet understanding this, God uses us in this struggle, in the power of the evil that we face today. We're in danger if we hold on to the power that we have over and above anything else, and we're in danger of that pride. There have been many times in my life I look back and I think, wow, look what I did. In the moment that I put the personal pronoun of I into that sentence, I have already put pride over and above what God gets credit for. And so when that happens, I always see myself falling back. And so the joy is not in what I do. The joy is in what God does, what He has done, and what He will do in the future. And yet these are the things that if we do for God, it becomes the understanding our minds of what God does best for us. So in all that that I've said, basically setting up 
the fact that God's best gift is a gift of, is not a gift of power, but a gift of his salvation. And this leads us to what God's best gift is. And this is where I want us to focus more so than anything else. And if anything you remember, that you remember the statement that God's best gift is the spiritual privilege of sonship. God's best gift is the spiritual gift of sonship. That's the time when you came to a point in your life where you surrendered your heart to God and you said, Abba, Father, I give you my life. I cannot live life and, and take care of the sin of my life. So therefore, I'm crying out to you, save me from this condemnation of my life that I've created, that I've allowed to be Lord of my life. And I cry out and say, Lord God, will you save me? For I am a sinner. At that point, the best gift that you could ever have in life is given to you as the Holy Spirit breathes life, the work of regeneration, the work of the baptism of His Holy Spirit in your life, the work of God becoming real, the work of where God reveals Himself and He says to you, you are my son and you are my daughter and nothing will ever change that. That becomes the best spiritual gift that we could ever have in life is to have the sonship amongst a, a, a title in our life and realizing that our names are now written in heaven and we join the masses of people. So we rejoice because our names are written in heaven. This becomes the basis of our joy all throughout our life and only into eternity, which becomes God's best gift to us. And by this figure, our Lord is referring to the fact that our names are enrolled in the book of life in heaven. References all throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament reiterate that same truth. It was the practice in ancient world for a book to be kept that would have names of all the citizens of their community written down. And this is the understanding in their limited minds as well as ours to realize that the book contains the names of the redeemed. Now, understanding this, that you and I, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that means that, that we're given a title, not only because we are the sons and the daughters of God, we've, we've accepted the sonship, and I use that universally for all people. We accept the sonship, and He gives that as a privilege and a joy. And guess what? Beside our name, if you want to put a parenthesis, it says they are redeemed. And so our joy is in the fact that we are redeemed by Christ, that we are redeemed by the Son of God. We're redeemed by His work. We're redeemed by His death. We're redeemed because we cried out to Him. He took care of the penalty of our death. He took care of the penalty of our condemnation. And He breathes into us life. And He gives us the joy of salvation. All because that the best gift that God could give us is to say, you are redeemed. Welcome into the kingdom of God because you are my citizens of this kingdom that I have created. And the kingdom of God is within as well as futuristic as we look forward to that in heaven. And so with best gift of God is that sonship. And the, and the, and the exciting thing about it is that sonship is not a relationship that has been created far removed from where we are. It's a relationship that is based on the personalness of who we are and the personalness of God. And so our gift that He gives us is a personal gift. 
This gift is very personal. Our names are written there in God's book. Our names are written in heaven. Our names are there because we are redeemed, because we cried out to Abba Father, and He registers us not by families and not by tribes and not by nations. He registers us personally by name. So you find your name as an individual who have been personally registered as being the citizens of the kingdom of God. That's the rejoicing. That's what Jesus says the disciples should be more about in their rejoicing. Not that they had power to cast out demons, which was obviously great and was obviously exciting, but that was not their permanent joy. Their permanent joy was the, their names written in the kingdom of God. So is your name written down in this book? Is your name written down in this book? You say, well, I don't know. Well, if you don't have an understanding without a shadow of a doubt, then I urge you to fall on your knees right where you are. Lift your hands to heaven. No one's around you. You're by yourself. Lift your hands to heaven and say, God, I need to be saved. I need to know that my name is written in that book. I give you my life and I ask you to save me. I promise you, if you're sincere in that prayer, something amazing is going to happen to you. You're going to understand joy like you've never experienced before because God's going to breathe life into you. And the life that I'm talking about is not the life that we breathe when we take in oxygen and we breathe it out. I'm talking about the spiritual life that happens on the inside that, that takes, a heart, takes a hold of the heart and changes the heart from the inside out, gives you a whole new perspective. It, you begin to love people you didn't know you could love. You begin to, to want to do things that you had no idea that you wanted to ever have a dream of doing. You find yourself in situations where you used to be powerless, now you are filled with power. You realize that God is preceding you in your every move, that the Holy Spirit is housed within you, and He's out, and he's out before you, preceding your every move. So understanding this, this gift is very personal. Second of all, this gift is permanent. It's permanent. The tense of the verb used by our Lord is a Greek perfect tense, which indicates the names have been written down in the past and is written there permanently. Now, one of the jokes our children used to play on us was those invisible ink pens. They would write something down, and then about five minutes later, we go back, and this sheet of paper is all clean, and it's, it's just evaporated. It became invisible ink. You don't have to worry about the invisible ink. Your name is written. It is, it is permanent, and it's there, and nothing will ever change that. Another indication that it's a permanent gift is found in the reference in the book of Revelation in which John indicates that those whose names are written in the book before the foundation of the world. It says in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, And they will dwell on the earth, shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life in the foundation of the world. They will not have to worry. They will not have to speculate. The mark of the unsaved is condemnation. The mark of the saved is a revelation, a revelation that God is real, that He is your Father, He is your friend, He is your personal God, and He has you in His hands, and nothing will ever take you or pluck you out of His hands. No height, no depth, no width, no length, nothing will ever take you out of the hand of God. So therefore, nothing will ever erase your name in the book of heaven. This would be understood for all of us 
that it is from the commitment of our lives to God through the Lord Jesus Christ that, that our salvation is a matter of God's eternal purpose from the very beginning of time. And he had you and me in mind. So this gift is permanent. This gift is personal. And yet, third of all, this gift is priceless. How much value could you place upon the privilege of having your name written down in God's book of life? One way that you might place a value upon it would be to try to determine the cost of what it takes to get your name written in the book. The book of Revelation hints at that. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 17, or 21, verse 27, it says that this book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And so therefore, just because of its title, the book of heaven is the same as the Lamb's Book of Life. And just because of the title, that meant a lamb had to die so that your name could be written down permanently in heaven. This lets us know whose names are found in the book because of the work of the Lamb. It was John the Baptist when Jesus appeared on the wilderness, when John was the forerunner of the Messiah. He took the attention off of everyone in that baptismal waters and he threw his hands out in the open. And when Jesus approached that crowd, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. In other words, he said, Behold, this is your sacrificial lamb that is going to take away the sin of your personal life. And at that moment, we understand that he becomes the lamb. And our names are written in the book of the lamb. It cost the death of Christ in order for our names to be included in that book. We could say that our names are written there and signed by his blood. So it's noteworthy that, that not only were our names written in the book from the foundation of the earth, but also the lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth. That's why we preach the, the, with, with sadness but with joy that Jesus Christ was the only baby born to die. Every child born, we intend for that child to live. But Jesus was born to die. The lamb, the little lamb, Mary had a little lamb, and that lamb grew up to die for you and me. One could not happen to to draw this conclusion in their own minds. It's all throughout Scripture interpreted that way. And understanding when rejoicing in this gift, it is rejoicing that this gift is priceless. It's priceless for us, but it cost God His life, His Son's life. And fourth of all, that this gift is powerful. When you read the last chapters of Scripture, in that of Revelation, you will begin to understand why Jesus insisted that this was the basis of rejoicing before God. At the great white throne judgment, this is the thing that will make the difference. John writes in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, as well as verse 15, 
He says this, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened up. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these books, which were written in these books, according to their works. And then he adds, Whoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so when you look at that of what John saw and what was inspired by God for him to write, to put down so that we can grasp some type of meaning for our personal lives, it's basically this, that everyone is going to stand at the white throne judgment before God. Those who are saved and those who are unsaved. But the difference is those who are saved stand there to give an account for the good works that they've done and they stand there with mercy. Those that are unsaved stand there making excuses of why they didn't commit their life to Christ and therefore it's too late and they're cast into the lake of fire. The saved are enter into the heavenly home in which God has prepared before us as he says, I go to prepare a place for you and if it were not so, I would not even tell you this. And when it's ready, you're going to be called up. And when you're called up, you're going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God, in the heaven of God, and you'll understand your name is written in that book, the Lamb's Book of Life, who took care of your sin problem, and it is in and beside your name, you are, you are considered redeemed because you are his son and you are his daughter, and nothing is ever going to take that name away from that book. That becomes our rejoicing. Rejoicing not because of the unsaved who end up in the lake of fire, but we rejoice of the fact that we are saved. We are his. We are, are a part of heaven. We become the heavenly chorus that begins to sing. We become the heavenly group that begins to shout, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We become the heavenly group that rec recognizes the fact that we're in the presence of God and God is real. This message is clear that the only thing that will keep us from being condemned and gain for us entrance into the eternal city of God is having our names written in the Lamb's book of life. We are condemned until our names are there. This is the powerful gift that God has extended to us. So I ask you again, is your name written down in glory? Is your name written down in glory? I firmly believe that if all of this world would fall on their knees and cry out to God and say, God, save us, in this world we live today, I have no doubt that the pandemic would end immediately. Not that God had brought this pandemic, but he can use it to get the attention of people's hearts. And I trust that he's got your attention and that you're no longer relying upon science. And you see that wearing a mask, keep from hugging, keep from handshaking, and keeping social distance is not stopping this virus. It helps. Amen to that. It gives us assurance. Amen to that. It keeps us safe in some sense. Amen to that. And we continue to do that, and I, I encourage it as well. But that is not what we trust in. We trust in God. If your name is not written down in glory, you have no joy. You may have happiness. And you may smile, and you may say life is good, 
but goodness don't get you to heaven. And if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you have the greatest reason of joy regardless of your circumstances. Even when you cry, even when you've been demeaned, even when you're, you're, you're psychologically down or depressed, circumstances change, but your name will never change in the Lamb's book of life. The person who has repented of his or her sin has placed their faith in Christ alone for salvation and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord of his life can know that that name is written down. It is priceless. It is permanent. It is powerful to know, and it is very personal. And if you've not done this, you are without hope in this world as well as the world to come. Why not make sure that your name is written down in glory right now? Repent of your sins today. This means that you're ready to turn your back upon your sin and you turn to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and you will see light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he will snuff out the darkness in your own heart. And you will see something of his radiant glory than you could ever imagine. So why not confess Jesus as Lord right now? Do not delay. Do it today. You say, well, how do I do that, Pastor? It's simple. Right where you are, just bow your heads and say, Lord Jesus, save me. I am a sinner. I want to know with full assurance that I am a part of this sonship And I want to know that my name is permanently placed in the Lamb's book of life, not because I'm scared of hell, because I'm ready for heaven. And that you and I together understand that there is joy in knowing Jesus. Will you cry out to him today? Will you call out to him as your Savior and as your friend? And watch what happens beyond belief. You'll be like the 70. You'll be so surprised and joyful about all the other things in life. You may begin to lose sight that your name written in heaven is your joy. And you'll be reminded that it's right there in heaven. And that's your rejoicing. Thanks be unto God for the gift of Jesus. Thanks be unto God for the gift of the Lamb. Thanks be unto God for the gift that the Lamb did for all of us. And thanks be unto God that we're accepted as his son and his daughter. Thanks be unto God that he is God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that this morning that we're reminded of what's the very basic of our Christian life, what's the very basics of the theological understanding of our belief system that goes back to Jesus. We know that that is the most important decision we could ever make in life. It is from that decision that we live in the midst of joy, knowing that we are yours, and that whatever we face, wherever we go, whatever's before us, that we understand that you are in control of life. You're even in control of death. We thank you that we can worship you today, that we can recognize you as our Abba Father, the Jehovah God that you are, the Yahweh, the Lord, our Elohim, the one in which we cry out in a personal understanding that you're God. Thank you for that friendship and thank you for that sonship. And it's in your name that we pray that we cry out in hope and joy because of Jesus. 
in his name. Amen.